Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This podcast is being released on Easter weekend. Just last weekend, First Baptist Church of Dallas sponsored a Palm Sunday march through the city. Pastor Robert Jeffress joined me to talk about that and to share perspective on Easter. You'll be hearing some of his comments. Then from the teaching ministry of Unlocking the Bible, Colin Smith shared with me about matters of betrayal, forgiveness, and repentance, some concepts related to the life of Judas Iscariot, but apparently he did not experience them all. Plus, from the NBA's Orlando Magic, Pat Williams discussed aspects of the life of the late John Wooden, a legendary college basketball coach who loved to teach his players. Some concepts consistent with scripture coming up. Then pastor and triathlon participant John Van Pay of Gateway Fellowship Church in San Antonio discussing the development of a long-term enduring perspective regarding the Christian life. And on this edition of The Intersection, some legal analysis from Leah Patterson of First Liberty Institute providing insight on the recent oral arguments before the U.S. Supreme Court about a case involving new California regulations placed on pro-life pregnancy care centers requiring them to make information available about local abortion centers. Also, actor Jim Caviezel from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at National Religious Broadcasters providing some information on his new film on the Apostle Paul in which he plays the role of Luke. Finally, more movie conversation with David A.R. White, who is not only a filmmaker, but an actor. The third movie in a series of Christian films is now out, a series in which he has a recurring role as a pastor. Find out more ahead. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Robert Jeffress is senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, which recently sponsored a Palm Sunday march through the city proclaiming hope in Christ. In a conversation on The Meeting House, he shared some perspective on the significance of the death and resurrection of Christ and the hope that he brings to a world that is searching for answers. Here now is Robert Jeffress. Well, Sunday night, Palm Sunday night, about 3,000 of our members marched through the streets of downtown Dallas, led by a Dixieland band, and we carried a giant illuminated cross through the streets of downtown Dallas as our way of proclaiming to our city and our nation that we believe Jesus Christ is the ultimate hope for our nation and our world. And of course, this came on the heels of the March for Our Lives demonstrations that took place Saturday all across the nation, uh, advocating for gun control to solve the epidemic of violence. And we certainly weren't against those marches. We think that's a positive thing. I mean, it may very well mean we need to look at legislation to try to curb violence in America. But if that's all we do, that's like putting a Band-Aid on a cancer. It doesn't deal with the root problem. The root problem with violence in America is a heart problem, and no legislation alone can change the heart. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ that does that. So it was just a happenstance, coincidence, maybe providence, that these two marches came one right after the other. I think they were not contradictory but complementary to one another. And I think it's important to note, as you mentioned, this was something, the March for Eternal Life in Dallas, this is something you guys did last year, that your church did that. It wasn't scheduled as a a, a response or, or even to coincide with what happened in cities all across America, including, I presume, in Dallas on Saturday yes. with the March for Our yes. Lives. 
Yes, and our, yeah, we were not protesting the protest. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we think people ought to march for the things that they believe in. But we think Christians, especially now, Bob, need to be bold. They need to be loving, but they need to be bold in proclaiming their faith. We've seen this attempt over the last 60 or 70 years. There's really been a crusade by secularists to absolutely eradicate any mention of God from the public square. And uh, that includes our schools. I mean, it was only, you know, for the first 150 years of our country's history, I mean, Bible reading, prayer, the Ten Commandments were not just read, but they were memorized. But then suddenly, about 60 years ago, the Supreme Court tells us that suddenly becomes unconstitutional. I think we need to return back to acknowledging God. As I said on Fox and Friends yesterday, teaching people, starting with our children, that there is a God to whom they're accountable is not the only thing we need to do to end violence, but perhaps it's the first thing we need to do. Well, and something people look at you, they see you on on media, and they know that you're you're someone that comments on various issues of our day. You know, something that occurs to me, and we talk about it all the time on this program, is that, yeah, Christians have that opportunity to address various issues, whether it be issues of, of gun violence. And, and like you say, that just looking at one particular aspect of trying to address that overall issue, that's not sufficient. And I think that you, you know, something that you've said, and I agree, is that we have to really look at the condition of the human heart. That's what Christ has come to address. Oh, that's exactly right. And, you know, I think we have to keep uh, the two. uh, institutions in 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 mind that God has created. He's created government to help restrain evil. He's created the church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I think about, for example, the abortion issue. I don't want to be a hypocrite on this. We do want legislation against abortion because that's murder. But at the same time, we realize we need to address the human heart that would want to have an abortion to begin with. It's not contradictory. It's complementary. And only the church has the ultimate solution to people's problems, and that's the gospel of Christ. Robert Jeffress here on The Intersection. To learn more about the church, you can go to firstdallas.org. The Pathway to Victory ministry website is ptv.org. Continuing now on The Intersection podcast, it's Colin Smith of the ministry Unlocking the Bible, the senior pastor of the Orchard Evangelical Free Church in the Chicagoland area. In our recent conversation, he commented on various concepts surrounding the life of Judas Iscariot related to the book Heaven, So Near, So Far, The Story of Judas Iscariot. Here now is Colin Smith. Well, I think that there are a growing number of people who are abandoning a faith that they once professed. Um, I would imagine that pretty much everyone listening to us talk right now, Bob, would be able to identify someone who they know or love, a friend or family member, who once professed faith and no longer has an interest in walking with Christ. And uh, that's certainly my experience, as well as the experience of others who I pastor in in the church here. And so I, I, I had in mind, as I wrote this book, the person who was brought up in a Christian home and then walked away from faith, or the person who once extended themselves in serving the Lord and now really has no interest in the faith that they once professed. I wanted to be able to reach out to, um, to these folks 
and um, uh, to give this challenge and to say there is nothing good that comes from walking away from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to, to give a call and to give an invitation to turn back to him, to be like Peter and not like Judas. Does the scripture present the evidence that perhaps there was ever any repentance? Was Judas so sorrowful for what he had done to Jesus that that perhaps he was so overcome with grief that he took his own life? Was there ever any forgiveness, any repentance as you can see it for Judas? Yeah, I think uh, for sure there was regret. Yeah. For sure there was sorrow. And for sure, there was self-condemnation that I think led to uh, what he so tragically did. But the important point here is that there's a world of difference between self-condemnation and regret and repentance. Repentance looks upward to Jesus Christ and finds grace and forgiveness in him. That's what Peter did. But Judas gave up on Jesus. And, you know, I, I often get asked the question, having written this, this book, you know, don't you think that Judas may be, may be in heaven? No, I, the scripture is pretty clear about this. I mean, you have it in three places. Jesus says of Judas on one occasion, um, uh, one of you, that is one of the disciples, is a devil. He says on another occasion to the disciples, you are clean, but not all of you. And then in John 17, he says very, very clearly that he has kept all that the Father has given to him except for the one, which is a reference, of course, to Judas. So this is a sad story, but it reminds us of something very important. It's not the case that it will be all right with everybody in the end. There really is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. And the way in which we find deliverance and forgiveness is not by a path of simply regretting the past mm. and condemning ourselves. It's by looking up to Jesus Christ and drawing near to him. So nothing good ever comes from walking away from Jesus. Everything good comes from turning towards him. And elaborate, if you would, please, on the difference, as you see it, between regret, like you say, the regret that Judas demonstrated, and true repentance. Yeah, so one simply looks backwards, that's regret. The other one looks forward and has hope, that's repentance. The most wonderful thing about repentance is that it is the path to newness of life. Uh, one uh, gives up on Jesus, that, that simply regret and condemnation gives up on Jesus and therefore gives up on hope, which is what you see in uh, Judas. And repentance, in contrast, it looks up to Jesus and finds hope in him. So I want to say through uh, the message of this book that there is grace and there is forgiveness for every betrayal, for every denial, for every sin, for every failure, for every backsliding and every abandoning of faith. But it's found in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. And therefore the invitation to draw near to him, not to give him up, but to prize him, to trust him, to look to him and to follow him. That's where hope is found, and that's where grace is delivered through our Lord Jesus. Colin Smith here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website unlockingthebible.org. This is The Intersection Podcast with Pat Williams, Senior Vice President of the NBA's Orlando Magic. He shared content with me recently related to the book he's authored entitled Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams, Stories and Lessons from John Wooden's Summer Basketball Camps, highlighting the character and impact of the late college basketball coach. Here now is Pat Williams. Coach Wooden was an active member of his church, his pastor, but Dudley Rutherford has become a good friend. And he was Coach Wooden's pastor for many years. In fact, 
uh, Dudley Rutherford uh, delivered the eulogy at Coach Wooden's funeral some years back. So his faith was real. Uh, he was not going to, uh, you know, stand up perhaps at a Billy Graham crusade and and give you know give a eight minute testimony. Probably not. But uh, there was no question that he knew the Lord and the Lord was a big part of his life and he wanted to live his life in a way that would be honoring to God. I don't think there was any question about that. And uh, uh, Coach Wooden, uh, you know, I found this fascinating, Bob. He, he had two great heroes in life. When you would walk into his condo, you'd walk down the hall, and right in front of there, you know, there was a wall, and he had pictures and books about his two heroes. One was Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the other was Mother Teresa. Uh, those were his two great heroes. And then he said, I've got a living hero as well. And that was Billy Graham. Wow. Uh, and the, the, the great John Wooden, who was a hero to so many, uh, had his own heroes. Lincoln and Mother Teresa from the past. And, and, and Billy Graham, who was living, of course, you know, right up until this past year. Uh, and so I, I always found that interesting, that uh, you can tell a lot about people uh, when you discover who their heroes are. Yes. So uh, Coach Wooden had three very interesting heroes in his life. If you had to sum up what made Wooden such an effective teacher, what would you say? Well, let, let's go back to the beginning. You know, he said, and, and said this himself, uh, that the, the, you know, the, the reason for his success at UCLA was talent, talent, talent. <laughs> Uh, he said, I, I never wanted to go into a game with my opponents unless I had better players than he did. I chuckle over that. But but then <laughs> Coach Wooden added, he said, but not everybody can coach talent. It's not easy. Uh, talented p- p- uh, p- players can be very independent. They can be very set in their ways. They can be very stubborn at times. They can be very obstinate. You know, he... He said it's not always easy to coach talented players, but but uh, he was uh, and so as far as teaching Bob, uh, first of all he he never uh, mailed it in. He was thoroughly prepared. His practices two hours to the dot, they ran like clockwork. There was not one wasted second. You know this drill might be for two minutes, and then they move immediately to the next drill for four minutes. And then the next drill might be five minutes. In other words, every second of the two hours was mapped out with that one wasted particle. Uh, I think that's the mark of a good teacher. You know, he never just, uh, uh, you know, just say, well, we're just going to wing it today. No, he was (laughs) always on top of things. And I think he got a great joy out of seeing players or students, uh, you know, begin to, see the light and begin to catch on, uh, begin to uh, really grasp what he was trying to get across. He loved to teach, and uh, he never, Bobby, never used the word coaching. I was teaching these young men under my supervision. That's how he would talk. Yeah, yeah. And uh, somebody once asked him, Coach Wooden, how long have you been coaching here at UCLA? He said, I've been teaching here at UCLA for 28 years now. (laughs) Ralph Drollinger, one of his former players, said, the largest classroom 
on the UCLA campus was Pauley Pavilion. Wow. Uh, that's that's where Coach Wooden did his teaching, did his educating right here in the big gymnasium. Uh, those are a few thoughts, Bob. Pat Williams here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website, patwilliams.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's John Van Pay, founding and lead pastor of Gateway Fellowship Church in San Antonio, Texas. He discussed elements of the Christian walk as he expresses in his book, Marathon Faith, Motivation from the Greatest Endurance Runners of the Bible. This is John Van Pay now. In an endurance event, whether it be a marathon or a triathlon, climbing a 14 or a mountain at 14,000 feet, it takes a lot of commitment. It takes training. You know, you don't tow the line and expect to run a marathon 26.2 miles. It, it takes 300 hours and, and 300 miles of training runs that no one sees that are in the private and that must be done four or five months in advance. Very important. You got to have a plan. You got to have a nutrition plan. You got to run at a pace that's manageable. You can't start and treat it like a sprint and run fast, or you're going to burn out and you won't have the stamina to finish. And so it's the same way in life. We've got to pace ourselves. We've got to have times where we're resting. We've got to give our bodies rest at the same time. Same thing in the, in the spiritual realm. That's why God commanded us to take a Sabbath. There, are, there is a great parallel between endurance uh, events in everyday life, especially spiritually. And the reality is life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It's not how we start, but how we finish that matters most. I'll give you the opportunity to maybe pick two or three. It sounds like a menu in a restaurant here, but maybe let's let's say pick out <laughs> uh, pick out three here to to put before our listeners this afternoon to put on the plate as far as some examples of these long distance runners from Hebrews. Well, one thing they all have in common, the reason why they're there is they had faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. We know that from Hebrews. So prior to every person being mentioned in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, by faith, 20 times. So they all had this in common. This, they had faith in their God, even when things did not make sense, even when, when the voices in their culture, the voices in their head or others would say different or contrary. They had faith in God to overcome. Uh, David is mentioned, and I think all of us can relate to David. He had a heart after God, but... David, if you know his story, he had the worst father-in-law, the worst boss ever. The man Saul was so mm. jealous of him, <laughs> tried to hunt him down and kill him. And David had opportunity to take revenge. One time he was in a cave, and he didn't. He didn't touch God's anointed. He kept his heart after God, and he forgave. And that forgiveness prepared him for the greatest betrayal in his life. That would be of his own son, who tried to uh, betray him to, to, for, the, for the crown, and his own child, his own son. And, but yet look, David is mentioned there because he didn't give up. He didn't, he didn't become bitter. He constantly forgave. David is a king. He's one of the famous in the Old Testament, but also listed in this chapter is another. There's more obscure names like Jephthah and Rahab, for example, why was Rahab mentioned over some of the other amazing women of God in the Old Testament, like Ruth, Queen Esther, Deborah? Rahab had a pretty shady past. She was a prostitute, and she was not a Jew. 
but she welcomed the spies into her home at great risk to herself. She was willing to go all in because she knew and had faith that that the, the God of the Jews was the one true God, and she broke all the rules, and, and she saved a generation, and she was welcomed in, and she's honored today in the pages of history because of her faith to just risk everything and not play it safe, not be scared, but to trust and overcome her fears. Wow, what great examples that we can have to say, hey, there, God wants to, he has a dream for us. And, and, and we, it's not about him fulfilling our dreams as much as it's us fulfilling his dreams and fulfilling his followers what's important on his heart. And many times that's going to require great faith and grit and obedience to fulfill his great purpose in each of our lives because all of us have a an eternal purpose, a divine purpose to, to seek and save the lost, to make disciples. And, and a lot of times that looks very clearly for each of us where the greatest need that is in front of us intersects our greatest passion. And the enemy doesn't want that to happen. There's an ongoing, ongoing plot to keep us, but we've got to keep going. Again, our life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. There's going to be mistakes, failures, fears, doubts. But we must overcome them through faith and obedience and out of our love for God and keep going. John Van Pay here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website marathonfaith.org. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with guests on the Meeting House program and the Intersection podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The Intersection podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more through faithradio.org. Also, when you go to the Meeting House homepage, it's accessible, by the way, through faithradio.org. You will find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, you can get connected to video content, including recently added content from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Leah Patterson, Judicial Fellow for First Liberty Institute, In a recent conversation with me, she discussed the California law mandating that pregnancy care centers notify clients of abortion availability, a law that has been challenged at the U.S. Supreme Court, which had just held oral arguments the week of this conversation. This is Leah Patterson now. Basically, California passed a law requiring pro-life pregnancy centers to post basically advertisements in their waiting rooms saying that the state provides free or low-cost abortions. And the bottom line is that the government should not be able to force pro-life service ministries to give free advertising to the abortion industry. Right. And so this was a a bill, and I know that there was great concern before it was passed, and you've had a number of these pregnancy care centers that have, have filed suit. 
the as I said, the oral arguments took place before the high court. And from the from the constitutional standpoint, I know First Liberty filed an amicus or a friend of the court brief in this particular case. What are some of the the principles or some of the major points that you and and other pro family Christian legal advocacy organizations were stating? Well, our basic argument was that this law engages in what's called viewpoint discrimination, which means the law was designed to target particular people because the state did not like their message. And the Constitution provides that this kind of discrimination is automatically unconstitutional, no matter what purposes the regulation may serve. So one of the things we pointed to in the, the California Act's sponsor specifically pointed to pro-life pregnancy centers as the reason for the act, saying that their existence was unfortunate. The justices heard these arguments uh, earlier this week. What sort of response did these did those who were arguing on both sides of this case, res- uh, what did they receive from the justices in response? Well, I can tell you that that, uh, the state of California's council received some hard questions about what this act was designed to do and whether it actually serves the interests that California says it's serving or whether it's actually, as we argued, targeted entities which are pro-life. And questions um, on that topic came from Justice Kagan as well as the more conservative justices. Oh, that's that's interesting that you would have concerns expressed from both, as you might say, the liberal wing of the U.S. Supreme Court as well as conservatives. I understand Justice Kennedy also had some strong questions with respect to the the constitutionality of this law. Yes, that's true. He, in fact, asked a particular one about the law's application to what it refers to as unlicensed centers. That is, pregnancy centers that provide non-medical support like diapers and formula. And the law requires those centers to, like if they advertise, it has to, they have to include a 29-word disclaimer repeated in as many as 13 different languages Mm. in the advertisement, which completely overwhelms it and makes advertising cost prohibitive. And Justice Kennedy pointed, pressed on that point in particular. Anything else you would want to add as far as some of the points that that your organization was making? Well, I think the bottom line for us was that someone should not be compelled by the government to express a belief that conflicts with their beliefs. Our focus is on religious liberty, and while the court did not take the free exercise challenge that was also brought in this case, the religious liberty aspects of the case are still strong, and, and that's what we wrote to, to emphasize. Leah Patterson here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website firstliberty.org. Next on this edition of The Intersection podcast from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, it's actor Jim Caviezel. He stopped by to discuss his role of Luke in the movie, Paul, Apostle of Christ. From that conversation, this is Jim Caviezel. It's just the last uh, two weeks of uh, Paul's life. I arrive, uh, the doctor, uh, Luke, he, at the last uh, two weeks of uh, Paul's life at the Mamertine prison. Kind of see how he's doing there, shore up the resolve, bring his message of hope to the uh, communities there, and 
to no avail. And the, uh, there's massive killing, obviously, going on with uh, Nero. But the, the film is very much of what's going on uh, today. And uh, the message in this is really one of forgiveness. Well, and when you talk about this film being something relevant, I was just sharing with someone earlier, when you talk about a film that depicts events that occurred 2,000 years ago, how do those events really relate to the, the culture in which we're living today as you see it? Well, sure. Uh, one, I could say uh, uh, some soldiers that I knew uh, came back uh, from fighting ISIS and they gave me pictures of on Good Friday, Chaldeans, Syrians, uh, Christians were executed. Uh, by crucifixion on Good Friday this, this uh, mm. 2017. And this has been going on for a while. Um, we also, uh, you know, have uh, infanticide going on in the United States of America, abortion. Um, and certainly we see in Scripture where we see that with uh, Pharaoh and killing of the, uh, the babies. And we also see it with Herod killing the babies to get to, to the Son of God. So the, the Bible in this is, is, the performances are very strong, but the words are still stronger. And the Bible and the word is really, really powerful in this. And uh, we didn't change any of that. We, we kept that there, and uh, there is no uh, watering that down. And I, I, I think, in fact, I brought a friend of mine who is a, a non-believer. Uh, he came and watched the movie, knows nothing about the Bible. And after, after the movie was over, he says, man, you're a writer? Yeah, you know, Andrew uh, uh, Hyatt, and I said, yeah, uh, he, that guy's a genius. And I said, why? Why do you say that? Well, his philosophy is really interesting. I mean, I've never heard it like that before. I said, well, you know, that's Paul's writings, man. <laughs> so when, when you look at the life of Paul, as you say, the sure. film depicts the, the last two weeks of his life. Yeah. What would you say that his words, and of course we recognize that he's responsible for a good portion of the New Testament, but what do you see as the relevance of his words for, for to today's movie audience? Well, I'll go back to, again, um, it is uh, being Christ. There's a p part in the movie where uh, Luke says to him, you know, I never saw Christ in person, but when I heard you preach, I saw Christ in you. And mm -hmm. People need to to understand that uh, you know and in this movie that that Christ is asking us to pray from the heart that um, not from the head you know um, telling your child that you love them right you 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 have a a, a baby who, who uh, how do I want to put this I can say something from my head and say I love you mm -hmm. I say it from my heart it means something and our Lord wants us to do the same thing to Him. The expression in the, and to be Christ also is, to, is forgiving, right? I went into that a little bit, forgiveness, but forgiving someone at all costs. And this is what our Lord did for us when He was on the cross. That he, was, he, he became sin for all of us, and, and yet He did not deserve to die this death, but He did for us. We will also be called maybe to the same kind of uh, yeah. life of what's happening with these martyrs, that some things are worth risking our reputation, our names, and even our very lives to stand for the truth. Jim Caviezel here on The Intersection. Find out more about the film at paulmovie.com. Continuing on that movie track, it's David A.R. White of Pure Flix, actor in and co-producer of the movie God's Not Dead, A Light in Darkness, he discussed the concept and plot of the film, including some of the difficult questions with which the movie deals. 
Here now is David A.R. White. My father's church that he built, we start to learn a little bit more about Reverend Dave. It's burned down. Someone dies in the process. Um, the university, our, my father also started, and now that's been turned over to the state. And, of course, now the state's saying, you know what, I don't think the church is relevant anymore. Let's not rebuild mm-hmm. this church. Instead, let's put a student center there because that's more important. And, of course, you know, no movie is complete without the pastor, me, having to call my brother for help, who just happens to be an atheist. And chaos mm-hmm. ensues. Talk about how you wanted to, through this film, really, as we might say, elevate or maybe set an example for the type of dialogue that we should be having in our culture. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the core of this, A, how do you—life is messy. No matter how you look at it, it's messy. And it is, you know, the, in, the, in previous films— the people, you know, uh, that, they, they, that, that resonated from my character was this saying, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And that's an easy thing to say in life. But how is that real? Is it true? You know, it, when adversity strikes us, how do we respond? And, um, and that's one of the things that I think separates this movie is it's, it's, an, it's, an, you know, it's definitely this personal journey of Reverend Dave and how does he respond all of a sudden you're a pastor but he's just an everyday guy with, with the same amount of hits that just keep coming on him as, as it does in a lot of our lives. How do, you, how do you react to your brother who's an atheist? How do you have, you know, how does that happen? You're, you're both kids of pastors, and one goes off and, and becomes an atheist. Like, where does, that, where does that all go on? And then, of course, we're in the college campus back again. Shane Harper is back, you know, from the first movie. And, uh, and, and we're dealing with the, the, the college campus that, that that kind of attacks our beliefs of in a lot of ways of our kids today you know and and we follow this girl who who's also like god are you real are you even there in the midst of everything that she's going through i i think that's what makes these films um connect to people is because they open on these conversations they 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 hit home to where a lot of us are dealing with you know on a personal level I wanted you to share just a bit. Your brother is played by John Corbett in the film. He is an atheist. Mm-hmm. You enlist his assistant. Tell me just a bit about some of the conversations that they have. Yeah, I mean, there's a thing called, you know, um, eminent domain, and that's what this uh, normally is used when when a government institution decides, hey, we need to build a railroad here, and this person's house is on there, and that needs to be removed or, you know, and, and they're now trying to put this into the church, basically saying, yeah, I think we can remove this church based on eminent domain. We don't need this anymore. So, of course, my brother is this high, high-powered attorney um, from Chicago uh, who comes and he, he really, you know, we disagree about a lot of things, clearly, because he's an atheist and I'm a pastor. Um, but in the midst of it, he ends up helping me. And... Um, you know, because he doesn't like to see his little brother pushed around. So you have the whole dynamics of family and how does that work in the midst of that? And I got to say, you know, John Corbett has, was such a joy to work with, but he's also, um, in, you know, he's just funny. And there's, there's so many dynamics that come out of the brothers in this, in this, uh, in this film. And, and, um, you know, we're excited about it. I, I, I it's hard to make sequels. There's no doubt about it. You, you kind of wonder, you know, how do you build on something that's already been been built there, you know, from a from a producer standpoint? But 
what we've been getting back and we did we've had so many screenings around the country is that somehow some way that this film is really um people people it's their favorite of the of the franchise which is you know unbelievable um and it's hard to hard to see how that's working but it's it's amazing how it's connecting because i think it's you know, this film is really about authenticity. It, it starts from the ground, from the individual characters, and it's just, it's, a, it's definitely, it's much more raw than the first couple where, where it is, you know, it, it's, it's taken these hard lessons, like how do, you know, how do you know God exists? Or, mm-hmm. or you know, why does he allow these horrible things to have happened in our life? These, these, these really tough questions, and it's bringing them to light um, in the midst of family, in the midst of friends, in the midst of the college campus, um, in, in ways that, that even the first two didn't. David A.R. White here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website godsnotdead.com. Well, we are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, also, you can subscribe to the Intersection Podcast through that homepage and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more when you visit faithradio.org. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page and you can get connected to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can reach the homepage in the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.